With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. You're listening to the Tennis.com podcast, and here's your host, Ed McGrogan. Hello, friends. Welcome again to the Tennis.com podcast. Ed McGrogan and Steve Tigner back with you as always. Uh, Steve, I, I read a, a pretty great uh, stat, I thought. Saw it after uh, this this week in which we just saw the ATP World Tour Finals come to a conclusion, and we'll, we'll get to that later in the uh, in the show here, but the stat, which was written by um, the Times' Chris Clary, someone you and I both know well, uh, was that there's only two men who have beaten both Andy Murray and Novak Djokovic in 2016, uh, clearly the top two players of the year, and uh, they're Juan Martin Del Potro and Marin Cilic, and you know they will be meeting up. They're the top two men in the final event of the year, the Davis Cup final. Um, this, you know, sometimes I feel like you get a, a bit of a letdown after the World Tour Finals, especially depending on how significant that event was. And this year's definitely was, considering the stakes for Murray and Djokovic. But I think this could be a pretty satisfying way to wrap up the 11-month tennis season on its own here. Yeah, I think Davis Cup has a way of... of um sort of the players that have had good years but haven't won everything um, on the tour, Davis Cup has a way of sort of bringing them, giving, you know, getting them something at the end of the year. Last year it was Andy Murray. He didn't win uh, any majors, but then he he led Great Britain to the Davis Cup. This year it's Del Potro and Chilich, both of whom had really good years uh, on their own merits but didn't go all the way at any big events and here they are with a chance to to do that um at the end of the season you know it's sort of like the top players they concentrate on the obviously concentrate on the majors and it sort of leaves leaves the davis cup uh for the for sort of the next tier of guys um and i think that's you know i think that's great i think that's that that's something that's will make this you know make this final really interesting yeah so let me run down kind of the vitals for this final here you know uh today's wednesday it'll start on friday uh run through sunday presumably if there are um if there's not a sweep this is best of five of course with two singles on friday two on sunday and a doubles given its own day on saturday uh it's in zagreb it's croatia versus argentina we should mention that off the top it's in zagreb it's and you know by definition uh every Croatian Davis Cup tie is seemingly played on an indoor hard court no matter what time of year. That is no exception this time against Argentina. Not to say that that surface negates Argentina's strengths in any in a massive way because 
you know, they certainly have some clay court players if you kind of go by the, the normal thought of, of Argentine players. But, you know, Juan Martin Del Potro, a, a threat on any surface and hard courts included. So they have Delpo, they have Delbo, Federico Del Bonus uh, as well, probably second singles. He's ranked 41st. They have Guido Pea, who's played a pretty big, pretty sizable role, actually, in Argentina's run to the final. Leonardo Meyer, uh, another veteran as well. It, it, it's kind of a well-rounded team in that respect. So maybe, I guess, maybe first off, your thoughts on Argentina, because Argentina has has been in this situation so many times before. They have it's un, it's unbelievable when you look at how many finals and semifinals they've reached. Really, since I think the year two thousand, it's a staggering number. I mean, does this team kind of? Does this team have the same limitations or weaknesses as those prior teams? Yeah, um, I th- you know I think this is a this is a pretty strong team in that they seem they seem more unified. This team, um, there always seemed to be in the past some infighting that that actually did have an effect on the way they played. Uh, I haven't gotten the sense of that this time. Um, they have a leader in Del Potro who can win in singles and doubles. Uh, they have a Leonardo Meyer is a seems to be the perfect guy to to bring in on Sunday. Uh, he's a, has a good Davis Cup record. He he beat you know he won the fifth tie fifth rubber against Great Britain. Um, like you said, Paya has done has has you know done work this year for them. Um, so I guess they have that same that same that same good qualities in that you know one really good player that used to be now Bandy and now it's Del Potro. Um, but also, you know, there's, they're not super strong in doubles. Uh, I don't know if you would, I don't know if you would favor them in doubles and also just the unfortunate fact, they're not going to be at home. Argentina, Argentina's fans probably travel better. Davis cup fans probably travel better than any, more than any other countries, Davis cup fans, but still they have to do it on a fast surface. Uh, probably, you know, does favor Croatia a little bit, have to do it away from home. So it's going to be tough, you know. They they've probably been the best, you know, obviously been the best Davis Cup team never to win one, and they actually care about it more than any other country, I think. And and uh, what you said but, about the uh, the traveling supporting army, I can vouch for that. Uh, you know, when I saw Argentina come to travel to Seville, actually, in I think it was 2011. Um, you know, a massive. This is Olympic Stadium, of course, but. You were not; they were not a uh, a vocal minority in in the you know in the sense of volume. They were they are you know as as you've seen on TV at the home matches and probably on away matches too. They are a very passionate group. They do travel very well, and they you know the one thing you will say is there is absolutely no lack of uh, of desire or motivation from this team from Del Potro. I think specifically. I I thought about this once it was it was determined that Argentina would make the final is I sort of put this as really one of Del Potro's if he was to win the Davis Cup and finally shed a lot of those really demons of the country he's had some sort of own his own sort of you know quabbles with the federation in the past as well I think it would be one of his biggest career achievements yeah well we said it before it would be the perfect end to this season in a way his his comeback season um, and also, it would be a fitting way to, you know, to for Argentina 
to finally get that one. I also think the same thing for Chilich, though. I think about his loss to Federer at, at Wimbledon, which was one of the more memorable matches of the year that he basically had and and couldn't finish off. You know, he's had a he's had a sort of similar good year, but a little frustrating. Hasn't had that big win, um, despite you know making making a lot of improvements. He had a, kind of a disappointing uh, week at the World Tour Finals. It's, you know, you, you'd like to see him. You know, like to see him get a win. Also, with you know, as in the same way as with Del Potra, it'd be nice to see Cilic get a win like that. Yeah, and for you know, I'll run down Croatia's team too: Cilic, Ivo Karlovic, um, who's has a, who's had a very very strong year. One of his best, one of the best years of his career, actually. At um, in the the you know for the veteran here, Borna Cilic as well. He's you know at the moment he is on the the nomination list for the team. Um, although it's he's really been dealing with injury for a little while this year, so I would expect a a, a one-two diet of heavy serving for the singles with Chilich and Karlovic. You have Ivan Dodig as well, and Dodig, a, a noted doubles uh, you know star. Actually, he's he's done really well on that format. Thirteenth in the world for doubles. I do think that uh, you know, given what we've seen from Karlovic this year, he is going to play. A pretty significant role in this, and you would think that um, that if it does go five, um, you know, to the fifth rubber, it's going to be Karlovic that gets that call, um, which is you know certainly imposing for anyone. So I do, you know, I, I would say principally on when you're when you're talking about these type of surfers on this surface, and you know, a really pretty. I think a pretty stacked team in that regard. There's really nowhere for Argentina to hide in terms of what they will have to contend with here. The only thing I'll say is that over the best of five set format, you do have an opportunity to read um, the serves. You know, you're going to get games after games of it. And I think the fact that it's not best of three and it is a, a more of a prolonged battle that can help Argentina out here. Yeah, I think Croatia, you know, if you look at their lineup, um, I think they are, you have to think they're the favorites. You know, Cilic and Del Potro, pretty even matchup. But Cilic um, is a strong top 10 player. Karlovic is, you know, a top 30 player. He's probably the, you know, he, if anyone gives them the edge in singles, he'll be tough for anybody to beat. And then doubles, if it's Cilic and Dodig who have had, had success this year, I think you give them the edge um, over Argentina. There, I think you're. I think Delpo is probably going to have to win two matches, um, and like you said, I think Karlovic could be the wild card, could be the sort of decisive factor. And I think he's almost he's he's a good guy for that. playing indoors, playing at home, playing on a fast court. Um, you know, playing having one of the best years of his career, even though it, you know he's 37 years old. Um, I think he's going to be a tough guy. To beat, and I have a feeling he'll thrive in that situation. This is really, we talked about Del Potro and Chilich having a chance at a nice win. This would be really be a career-making win for Karlovic after all these years. You kind of think back to guys like Stepanek. Um, I think Fernando Verdasco is another good example of players that have that have you know, like you said, the the way the format you know is the way it is is that you're going to put some players who are not used to being in the absolute final uh, rounds of events, typically in some very pressure, in the most pressure-packed situations. And, and I think, uh, 
I think for Karlovich, that's you know that's very light a very likely scenario where we could see him coming into play here. So I think it's a strong final. Like you said, I agree with you, um, and I think it's a pretty you know this will be actually you know this will be the the final year. You know I'm thinking ahead to next year where you kind of you bring in the Laver Cup, which is really you know something of a you know something of a competitor to the Davis Cup as well, and I wonder how that impacts the Davis Cup going forward. I think that's, you know, largely a pretty much an unknown as it is with lots of, um, you know, with lots of uh, alternative playing formats, tournaments. You know, there's there's been no shortage of discussion on what the Davis Cup, you know, its bona fides and its and it, the problems with the format. So I think, in a way, this is a, uh, you know, something of an important final, you know, maybe for the brand itself, too, which is another sort of uh, element I'm looking forward to. Yeah, the Labor Cup has Federer involved, and Djokovic was just talking about how, you know, alternative formats for the Davis Cup, he thinks that's a no-brainer. So, but to me, um, you know, those are, you know, those are great ideas, but I still like the Davis Cup the way it is, and this is a chance to kind of, if it's, you know, if it's the last time it, that it, that you know, if it's if it's if it's going to change, you know, now's the time to enjoy this this format. I think you get the best of it in this in in this weekend. Certainly, yeah, well said there. Let's uh, just you know quickly as well look back on uh, the the concluded ATP World Tour Finals, where you know the sport couldn't have asked for more in terms of the final match of the tour schedule, you get number one versus number two with the ranking on the line. So much has to go, uh, so much has to go correctly in terms of how the numbers shake out, just in terms of pure chance to get that scenario. Um, you know, I do, you know, we didn't get a, I wouldn't think a classic match by any means. It was a six, four, six, three win for Murray. Um, I think, you know, nothing, it wasn't a thing. It wasn't a, a match where, just by flipping a switch, Djokovic was able to instantly recharge, kind of summon that uh, that skill, that skill set, that display, and you know, kind of rewind to the player that we saw for the first five months of the year. I think that was certainly a lot to ask, but I think it was still in the back of so many people's minds, given really the the lopsided record between the two, it's still 11 to 24. Um, you know, Murray is behind by that total. Um, but also just, you know, we were also waiting to see Murray against Djokovic in a, in a very significant final. Um, you know, Djokovic had beaten him in the French open and the Australian open finals this year. Um, you know, when the stakes are at their highest, what would how would Murray respond? And obviously, he responded very well, wrapping up the number one ranking. Yeah, I was actually surprised. You know, going into the tournament, I think I picked Murray, and I didn't really expect Djokovic to turn it around. But going into the final, I probably would have picked Djokovic. He was suddenly looking good. He'd beaten Nishikori badly. Uh, he seemed to have his game together. Uh, Murray had was had to be tired from he had played a long three three and a half hour match. The day before, and had a long match before that. Um, so I was surprised. I, you know, the the standard thing for Djokovic at this tournament had been, you know, in 2012, he had given up the number one ranking to Federer, and then he beat him in the World Tour in this final to take it back. And then the next year, he'd given up the number one ranking to Nadal, and he couldn't take it back in the final. 
but he won that final over Nadal. Like he, Djokovic had has had a way of sort of writing, you know, writing the ship at this tournament and sort of showing that he's, you know, he's still he's still the best player no matter what happened during the year. Um, so I expected him to do that again, and I really expected him to to really believe that he could that he would could beat Murray. I've beaten him so many times. Um, I expect him to believe that he was going to win this match, and he, I didn't really get that feeling. I never got that feeling from him. It, it, he started out pretty well, pretty sharp, um, but then when Mur- you know Murray was the one who, who did something different, who who took the initiative in the rallies, used his forehand better than normal, the things that Djokovic typically does to him, you know, get that sort of first shot in, in the rally. That was that was Murray this time, and Djokovic didn't really have an answer. I had the he said afterward that he he never really felt like he was going to win the match. That that it was obvious from the start that that um, Andy was the better player, and that you know that I guess it just showed that the the last six months have taken its toll on on his confidence, and that Murray has you know just that goal of becoming number one also turned him into a different player. It's sort of a guy who who was I thought I felt like through the last couple of months he was just finding ways to win matches, different ways to win matches on different days. And he did it again against Djokovic. He had something different, you know, that that forehand and that that attacking game from you know, had something different from his normal game. So, you know, in retrospect, it seems logical. Murray was the better player over the last half of the year, but it still still surprised me. Um, you know, there are different mentalities in, in the way that match turned out. Well, I think that's part of a reflection of the era that we're in. Is that whether it's Federer at number one, or whether it's Federer kind of at the top of the game, Nadal. Djokovic, they have each held their posts for such a long and really dominant period of time. Rarely, rarely has there been, um, you know, the number one ranking has moved around, but it has not been sort of a hot potato where where it's flip-flop because of another, you know, a result the following week. When when someone has grabbed that ranking, they have usually held on to it. And it's it's been tough to almost envision um you know some of these long-standing uh kings of the game kind of abdicating their thrones and i I think that's really kind of what you're saying a lot about about the Djokovic murray dynamic that we really did need to sort of see it play out and what you're saying about murray about finding ways to win time and time again over the past few months um it hasn't always been pretty and i know i know many people don't don't fit, you know, prefer his game compared to those other three. But I think, you know, that's, that's just turned into his signature trait is, is just, is just really one of the hardest players to keep at bay. Like, you know, especially over the, the length of the match, it's, you know, Murray, a super fit guy. Um, he, you know, I think comparing him to Djokovic here, you would say that certainly a physical element as well over the length of the season, you know, he has only gotten stronger as the year's gone on and Djokovic has certainly wilted. I, you know, I think it sort of begs the question about where they go from here as well. And, you know, to me, even though there is a, you know, a, a very brief month, month and a half of break here um, until the new season for these two, it is tough for me to picture Murray sort of being satisfied and relenting given that he's, you know, finally climbed this mountain here. I, I foresee it really as, um, you know, this is this is really his window, his opportunity to kind of you know bolster a resume that's already very impressive. But he's always at, at times in his career either been stymied by one of those three rivals of his. And I think 
I think this just emboldens him and really, you know, I, I think he, he wants to take this as far as he can go here. And I, and I guess you, you, know, you wonder about Djokovic as well. I mean, he wasn't able to flip a switch given, you know, what was on the line here. And you kind of wonder how that, you know, what that means for 2017 as well. Yeah, I think Murray, Murray, unlike Favrinka or Nadal, hasn't been a guy who's had a lot of ups and downs or he hasn't been sort of a one-hit wonder. He did, you know, after he won Wimbledon in 2013, he had surgery and then he took a while to come back from that. But that was, you know, that was more of a physical thing. I think he's been pretty steady. He, you know, he, he moves up a notch and then he's, he's kind of stayed there um, over the years. He basically spent seven years, almost, you know, he spent seven years at number two or around number two before he became number one. So I think, I do think, I think you're right that he'll, that this isn't going to be a one and done thing for him. And he wants, he still has, he's been a guy who's sort of, he's had different goals and he's achieved them. Um, there was a goal to win Wimbledon and then he made himself into a good clay court player finally last year. Now he has both the Australian and the French Open. He's never won those. So those are, you know, I think Murray is, is especially tough when he has, a real specific objective in front of him. It used to be Wimbledon. The last couple of months it was becoming number one, and he, you could see he really didn't let go of that. Um, so I think, I do think he went, you know, I, I do think he will stay at number one or, and you know, unless he can't beat Djokovic. I think, I don't think there'll be a big drop off from Murray. I think it's more the question is, you know, what's Djokovic's mindset? What's his game? What is his response? Yeah, exactly. What's his response? Is he going to be, is he going to actually enjoy being number two and going after number one instead of having to defend it or is this sort of part of a bigger a bigger loss of confidence or even a you know something that's about getting older about not being able to be as dominant at 30 yep yeah and i mean as you say murray cannot lack for motivation in melbourne given the uh you know he he is kind of the you know if, as argentina is the davis cup he is to the australian open in terms of uh being so close to getting that carrot there i want to close on this one uh sort of thought question is you know we're going to begin 2017 with two new number one players um compared to the start of uh, this past year here with murray and angelique kerber and i was thinking about this you know given that we've been talking about you know I think Djokovic seemed to almost concede that number one ranking, sort of admit that it wasn't his. He he, he at times this year he had also played down. I think um, perhaps even the importance of that designation. Serena Williams as well, I think, is really kind of has made that a point too to mention that at this stage in her career, it's about the slams. It's not about the ranking, and the ranking is is really derived by. You know, it, it's more of a it's more of a marathon than a, a sprint four times a year, and I'm wondering what you think about how players value the number one ranking nowadays. Um, given I think the ever increasing importance of majors and how that is the currency that defines any player, seemingly in the public eye. Um, you know, we've we've had number ones in the WTA that have not won slams. You think of Dinara Safina, Yankovic. Um, Wozniacki and they've almost been um, you know sort of mocked in a way for having that that number one next to them but really unable to kind of almost justify it as if it wasn't enough to sort of justify it on its own and I'm kind of wondering really what you think of the number one ranking um, and how important and how much of a, a driving factor it is for really tennis players nowadays in general. Yeah, well, I think it'll always be secondary to slam. You know, slams are number one. Being number one without a, 
slam is different and, and I think I think people would you know, I think players want the slams. That's the instant objective. Um, being number one is something only a couple people can even really think about. Uh, I did think that I like the fact that Murray went for it. He wanted it. He said he probably he might never have another chance to become number one, so he did everything he could to get it. It obviously meant a lot to him. Um, I think players tend to downplay number one when they feel like they're not going to be number one. Serena spent a lot of years saying she didn't care about being number one when she wasn't playing enough to be ranked there. And then when she was number one, she liked it. You know, she was she wanted to keep it. She wanted, I think, specifically, she wanted to break Steffi Graf's consecutive streak of 186 straight weeks. She ended up tied. So now I think with that being over, I don't think she's going to care about it as much. She, I think she wants to, I think she wants to get that 23rd slam. So for her, it's a little different. She may be beyond the point of of really worrying about being, being worried about being number one. But I think for you know I think for in general for players, when they have a chance to do it, they they want it. And I think Djokovic is going to want it back. Um, I think Djokovic did care about it and was proud of it. Uh, certainly, I think Angelique Kerber is really going to want to keep it. I think she'll feel if she loses that number one, she'll feel disappointed. I think it's a role that she is going to grow into, or that she's she's starting to grow into at at, at the end of the year. Even though she didn't win everything, she sort of had a there was a different mentality about her and we'll see if Murray can do that. So I, I think it is, you know, I think slams will always be that thing that's right in front of everybody that, that you want, that you can win. And number one is sort of something off in the distance that only really like the really great players could even consider. But, but um, I like the fact that, that Murray and Kerber both uh, were driven for it and cared about it. And I think it does, you know, it does matter to them. That's a good counterpoint to both exactly with Djokovic and Serena compared to where we, uh, where we are right now. So, I think it's a good way to uh, to leave us on this edition, and we will um, get back together after the Davis Cup final to, uh, I guess, kind of put the year to bed, and uh, and we'll have uh, December coming, the holidays, and of course the Australian sun before you know it. So, um, for Steve Tigger and McGrogan, once again, thank you for listening to the Tennis.com podcast. You've been enjoying the Tennis.com podcast. For all the latest news and events, head over to Tennis.com.